0: God, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you again this morning. I just was so struck as we were singing that song about how holy and beautiful and powerful and wonderful you are. And you invite us as children of God, heirs of God, to be in relationship with you by by the blood of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that as we look at this word, Lord, right now, I know that your word will not return void. And I pray, God, that each of us, we come to this service, God, hungry. We come to this, to this moment, God, maybe a little worn out, maybe a little tired, maybe inspired, maybe on top of the world or anything in between, God, and you have a way a divine way, a surprising way of speaking to us, us in the exact moment we are in, provided that we have hearts that are open. So we just declare our hearts are open. Come Lord Jesus, come. Your children are listening. Have your way, Spirit of God. Thank you, Father, for your love. We pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Amen. Have you ever experienced waiting with wonder? This idea of waiting with wonder in a really painful moment. In the passage that we're looking at today, Paul, you're going to see this metaphor, this symbol of pregnancy, of, of, of having a child, of of, of, of the of the the pregnant expectancy and the pain of giving birth and this idea that that this whole time that that, that you have this this wonder of the waiting this this wonder if uh, of a baby in the womb of a woman kicking. Or for me, thinking about the adoption of my, of my little girls and, and, and the wonder of, of seeing their pictures, the, the wonder and the, the struggle of raising the money and, and figuring out how to fly out to, to, to pick them up and the, the expectation and the anticipation and also the struggle of the waiting and the pain of the waiting. Or perhaps for some of you, when you hear the word waiting, or you hear the word suffering, or you hear the word pain, you feel more like it's a little bit more meaningless or a little bit more empty. Perhaps that distant promise is hard to grasp. In today's text, Paul is speaking to us in moments of pain. He's speaking to us in moments of waiting, in moments of expectation, in moments of possibly hopelessness or feeling totally discouraged or in despair and he's writing to us this incredible gospel truth that we continue to see all of these different facets of the gospel throughout the book of Romans. The book of Romans is about this wonderful truth that Paul says I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to change everything. And here today as we look at Romans chapter eight, as as we continue to unpack what it looks like to be people of God, children of God, people of the spirit of God, we learn this gospel truth about suffering and perhaps suffering that maybe you're experiencing right now, perhaps suffering that a friend is experiencing, or if you're in a great space, suffering that you will experience someday. And this is the gospel truth, that Paul is speaking to you and me and to the church, to the people of God, this is this. Our present suffering can't compete with promised glory. Turn to the person next to you and say it can't compete it can't compete. It's like playing the 49ers. You can't compete. Awesome. Can I get an amen? It can't compete. Our present suffering can't compete with the promised glory. And the question that Paul is getting after in this moment is that there, is, there are some who maybe are in the midst of a really difficult time. And they're asking the question, is this worth it? And they're wondering, can it compete? Because they're so overwhelmed by the pain, by the loss, by the suffering, by the emptiness, by the unanswered questions, by the doubts, by the whatever it is that can fall under the category of suffering. They're asking this question, Is following Jesus worth it? Is following the ways of Jesus worth it? Is is truly being a Christian worth it? And Paul is answering that question with a confident, bold, wonder-filled absolutely yes. Look at what he says here in verse 15. He makes this statement and then kind of unpacks it in three ways in chapter eight, verse 15. He says this. I'm sorry, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth it, or I would say can't compete, comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now it's important to note here When he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us, who the us is. How do we become a people who this present suffering, this present moment, this present location that we are in, how do we get to a space where what is the future overwhelms the moments? It's important to note that he's writing to the Christian church. He's writing to the people of God. He's writing to the people who say, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Remember, last week we talked about the identity of the people of God. He's writing to the spirit-filled people who have confessed faith in Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Savior. And he's telling them, he's telling you and me, if you believe in Jesus, that this present suffering is Nothing compared to what's to come. Douglas Moo, one of the great commentators on the book of Romans says this, we must, Paul suggests, weigh suffering in the balance with the glory that is the final state of every believer. And so weighty, so transcendentally wonderful is this glory that suffering flies in the air as if it had no weight at all. Yeah. That's what we want. That's what this bold claim that Paul is making. And as he makes this plain, this, this this statement in verse 18, he unpacks this, I believe, in three ways. And really they're triune ways: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three different ways that God Himself in His unique persons is helping us in the reality of this confession of our faith that present suffering can't compete with future glory. And the first is what I like to call pregnant labor with Christ. Now, I know it's really hard or interesting hearing a man talk about pregnant labor. I know I cannot relate. I've been in the room, but I have not experienced the pain. And so let me just get that out there. Ladies, I know right now you're probably like, you have no idea. I get it, but Paul gives us this illustration about this intense, probably one of the most painful things a human body can go through, this pregnant labor, and notice the with there. Don't forget, in the previous verse that we finished on last week, Paul says that we are now co-heirs with Christ in his work, provided that we suffer with him. So even the hard labor, the hard work that God has called us to, the work of the kingdom of God, the work that he's uniquely created, designed each of us for, with him, this work, this mission, this this call to the way of the cross is like pregnant labor. Labor. Another way of saying this is that we hope in the midst of meaningless frustration and relentless pain. What do I mean by this? Let's unpack this first, the meaningless frustration. Look at verse 19 and following. 19 through 21 says this. It says, For the creation, this is talking about the the creation of God, back to Genesis chapter one, all of creation waits with eager longing. Look at at that word, circle that word, eager longing, for the revealing of the sons of God, the children of God, the heirs of God, those that God has called. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. This word, futility can be translated frustration. It's also the same word back in Ecclesiastes in the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same word for vanity, for meaningless, is used here. And there's this reality that even though we were created for good work in Genesis, even though God created us as image bearers of God, The third page of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, we learn that sin enters in. We remember this from Romans chapter 3, and and creation itself is fallen. And because of our sin, because of our disobedience, creation now is subjected to thorns and thistles. We call this the curse of our sin. And it says frustration, and Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes says, it's all meaningless. It says, the Lord has actually written eternity on our hearts. We have this desire to be back into this, this beautiful call, but yet it seems that our work is meaningless. It seems, at times, that it's all like a mist and it disappears. It's frustrating. It's like harvesting a crop that you know will not bring a good yield. I was watching this documentary yesterday with my kids on uh, Travis and Jason Kelsey. I'm sorry for all the football quotes, it's that time of the year. And these two brothers who ended up playing in the Super Bowl last year, and this center for the Philadelphia Eagles, Jason Kelsey, he, he writes in this, or he talks in this uh, um, interview about the incredible pain of getting all the way to the Super Bowl, all of the pain he put his body through, all of the journey that he and his team went through to get to that moment, and then getting there and losing. And just, and just literally asking like, I don't know if I can do this again. And for some of us, we've had moments like that where we feel like we've worked so hard for something. We've longed for it, we've even dared to hope for it. And yet there's this like meaninglessness or this hopelessness that comes when it doesn't go the way we want. Paul is writing to that moment of suffering. And he's not, but he's not just talking about the meaninglessness and the frustration of that. He also wants to get at this relentless like ongoing pain. Look at what he says here in verse 21 and following. He says this. He says, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, all creation, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but actually we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, this idea of the first fruits, this is the first harvest, this is the already not yet, what God has done in us, we've experienced some of what is to come. We do not, we are not the people that do not have hope, that do not have a taste, but we groan. Inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for we hope for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we hope for it with patience. There's this, there's this theme of hope, there's this little thread of hope, but yet we still have the frustration, we still have the relentless pain, like, like, like pregnant labor, when you're in labor and it's ongoing and it won't end, and, 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 and the pain keeps coming and it keeps coming and it keeps coming, and for some of us, we find ourselves in this moment like it just feels like it'll never end. Like, it feels like we're just completely stuck in this ongoing cycle. I keep living with this burden. I keep living with this deep loss. I keep living with this deep pain and the suffering. And Paul says, but don't give up hope because we are a people of hope. The child's coming. The hope is here. Jesus himself talks about this kind of hope. In the midst of relentless pain, in the midst of sometimes this, what feels like this meaningless frustration, Jesus himself told us about this. Look at what he said in John chapter 16, verse 20, as he's writing, talking to his disciples. Talking to you, talking to me, anticipating this. He says this, truly, truly, whenever you, hear, whenever you see truly, truly, that's like Jesus' Jesus's way of saying don't miss this. He says, you will weep. You will lament. He's talking to his disciples, the people that follow Jesus. He says, and the world will rejoice. They'll rejoice at your pain. They'll enjoy your suffering. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then look at at what he does here. same thing that Paul's talking about. When a woman is giving birth, She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and take and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Do you see what Jesus is talking about with this pregnant labor? I remember in our staff meeting we were talking about this, and Cindy said it's that moment of looking into your child and all that pain that you went through. It's all worth it when you see that baby. I think about my five kids. I think about the nausea of, 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 of that I felt and of of Tristan being born and becoming a dad for the first time. Think about all the, the long labor that Brianna and I kinda had with her. Sorry, Brianna. And that moment of holding my son. Think about the moment of my son Nolan being born and then all of a sudden discovering I got more room, of more love in me for another person. Didn't think it was possible. Think about Jude, we didn't know if it was going to be a boy, didn't know if it was going to be a girl, and saying, I got three boys. Jude, the gift from God, thinking about the adoption and the long process of raising the funds and flying to China and seeing my daughter for the first time and her liking me more than mom. (laughs) Just for two weeks. (laughs) Never forget when seeing Ruth walk in holding the, the hand of her foster parents with three pigtails in all of those five moments for me, instantly knowing, oh, it was worth it. It was worth it. And this is what Paul, he's, and, and hear this, don't miss the beautiful illustration. He wants you to know in that pain, in that suffering, he's talking to the church, who, by the way, is in the middle of incredible suffering, persecution, He wants them to know, he wants them to grab on to this picture and say, this is a picture. It can't compete with what's to come. It's this pregnant labor with Christ. But also, hear this, perhaps sometimes it's so debilitating. Perhaps sometimes even though you confess your faith, you still feel like like, I get that, Logan, but I just literally, like I am incapable of even praying. We have the work of Christ, but hear this, don't also neglect the work of the Spirit within you. We also have, hear this, the interceding presence of the Spirit. The interceding presence of the Spirit. He's writing to that person, he's writing to that person who who knows that these things are to be true, but yet there's something in them that still feels a different way. Or something in them that just doesn't feel at all. It doesn't know how to feel, doesn't know how to process, is still feeling this brokenness. Look at this. Look at this incredible promise here. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, this is God Himself, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes with us, and look what He's doing. With what? groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, the word saints are the people of God, you and me, those who belong to Jesus, according to the will of God. Our teaching team, Lauren York from our teaching team said, you know, this is such an incredible challenge. There's been times when we've been sitting in the pew and I just feel like no one understands my pain. No one understands the unique feelings I have. And Paul here saying, no, the Spirit does. No, the Spirit that is within you understands it and groans with you and actually is even interceding and praying for you when you don't know how to pray. What an incredible comfort and what an incredible hope. We have the spirit interceding in our weakness and our overwhelming despair. Hold on to that. And so we have this pregnant labor. We have this interceding presence that says it can't compete. But hear this, we also have what what Charles Spurgeon would call a soft pillow to lay our head on, the sovereignty of God, the sovereign purpose of the Father. The sovereign purpose of the Father. See, we believe that God uses all things, for our eternal good and his eternal glory. We believe that God uses all things, all things, good and bad for our eternal good and his eternal glory. Look at what it says here in verse 28. It says, and we know that those who love God, those who love God. Now that's that's particularly the only people that can love God are the people who have put their faith in Jesus because we know that we cannot love God without his work in us and his grace to us. He's talking to the children of God. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This word for called Theologians would say, it's not like the phone's ringing and I gotta decide if I'm going to answer or not. They call it, we call it an effectual call. A call that you can't even avoid. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then Paul unpacks this a little bit. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Which is a statement of faith about who God is how big he is, how transcendent he is, as we sang today, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. He knows all, he's seen all, and those he foreknew, he has seen the future, he exists outside of time, he also predestined. And whatever you do with this word predestined, this is a biblical word, we are biblical Christians, and so we have to live with this reality that Paul says that God does a predestining work. And there's different ways to understand that. Some people would say, well, God knows all, He sees all. So He's seen those who've He sees those who have chosen Him. He's seen that. So then He He's worked in that. I kind of land more on the mystery side that we have a sovereign God who is in control. And there's some relationship, and we're gonna to get to unpack this if this creates a little tension for you right now over the next three weeks, over the next three sermons, because in chapter nine and 10, Paul just goes right after this, this, this tension of the sovereignty of God. How do, we, how, how do we live with a sovereign God who works all things for the good of those who've been called, but yet we also have human responsibility? We have the free will, and how do these two things fit together? They're both in the Bible, so we're going to be unpacking that as we continue to get into Romans, but here Paul gives us a little taste of what's to come. He's saying, God in his sovereignty, he foreknew, he predestined sons and daughters of God to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, talking about Jesus. And those whom he predestined, this is called the, 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 the beautiful chain, the unbreakable chain, those he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, back to chapter 3 and 4 about, about, about the work of God, and those whom he justified he also glorified. Notice here the word glorified is in the past present, in the past tense. But glory seems to be always about the future. Once again, it's like God has already knows the whole story. And there's this confession of our faith, this trust, this soft pillow that we can lay our head on knowing that God is in control. That all things work for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. John Newton said this, he said, everything is needful that he, God, sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Now it's important to note here, this verse is not saying that all things are good. It does not say that all things are good. So when you're in suffering, when you're in pain, when you've been experiencing, it's not saying that we should say, oh, this is a good thing. There's there's very real evil and loss and death that has come from the fall. But God uses broken, evil sin, dead, painful things for good. Look at the story of Joseph. Go read his story in Genesis and at the end of his story, it's, it's really the story of the gospel. When he turns to his brothers who betrayed him, who left him for dead, who sold him to slavery and that God used him to bring about hope and to feed his people, Joseph says what you meant for God, what you meant for good, God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. And so we have these three, I would say, helpful reminders, these three biblical truths for us in moments of suffering that we have this pregnant labor with Christ, this interceding presence of the Spirit himself and the sovereign purpose of the Father. And what is our gospel response? I thought of three words as we think about this reality. And the first word I would say is this. Wait. This is the the theme of Advent. That we are called to be a people who live in waiting. Wait because it's worth it. Wait in the pain, in the suffering, in the the questions, because we believe it's worth it. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this. He says, for this light momentary momentary, Temporary affliction is preparing, it's doing something for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They come and they go. But the things that are unseen are what? What? Eternal. I wanted to read over you Psalm 40. Maybe you're feeling like, man, I've, I'm tired of waiting. Read this Psalm with my son Tristan this week and just spoke to me and said this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Wait. Timothy Keller says this, we know that we are not what we will be one day, what we will one day be. But we do not already have all that we one day will have. We know that all our best days lie ahead of us and that one day all our painful days will lie behind us. We wait eagerly and yet also patiently knowing that the pain will pass and that this life is not all there is. Wait. Second word. With. Don't miss the power of with. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is with me. God is with me. I'm reminded of the story of Joshua as he's getting ready to lead the people back into the wilderness and Moses has, has handed the mantle on to him and they're getting ready to go into something really difficult and really painful and God says this to Joshua and I believe he's saying it to you and me, he say, it says this. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be fearful. Do not be dismayed. With. With. Wait. With. God is with you. But finally, Don't miss the wonder. Wait with wonder. As we think about pain and suffering, we have a God. Think about what we just learned. God knew all. It tells us before the creation of the world, he knew you. And this idea of foreknowledge, the, the foreknowing, throughout the scriptures, if you do a word study on foreknowledge, it's more than just knowing about somebody, it's actually this intimate relationship with someone. It says that God foreknew you, and he knew all of you, the dirty, the evil, the darkness, and it says that he, he predestined. What, what he would do, it tells us in Acts, When Peter is preaching to the people, it says that God predestined the work of the cross, that God knew when he created us, when when he knit you together in your mother's womb, when he foreknew you, he knew that he would go to the cross for you. And he knew that all that suffering, all that pain, all the torment that he would go through would be worth it. Why? Because you're worth it. I'm worth it. You're worth it. This is why, back in Romans 5, when he really unpacks suffering, he says, But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or next week, As we get to continue to unpack this, I'm just gonna give you a little taste of what's to come because you don't miss this. It says, what then shall we say to these things? What then should you say for the suffering that you're in or that your friend is in or that your family's in or just the, the despair and the hopelessness? What should you say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, God, who did not spare his own son, you're worth it but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Or as John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world. You could use that word world, you could cross that out, you could say for God so loved Logan that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You are worth it. And God looks at you and he foreknew you. And the suffering's worth it. In our small group this last week, we were talking about just the incredible privilege of being called children of God and One of the ladies in our group said, we were talking about what's the response? And she just said, wow. (laughs) Wonder. Or maybe more appropriately, worship. As we think about this response, I'd like to just add on one more W. It's not in the notes. It just kind of came to me this morning as we were singing. Could you just write we before the wait with worship, wait with wonder? Because remember, Paul is writing to a people who've been called to co-labor. And for some of us, you may think, oh man, another sermon about suffering, but my life is good. No, our life together, we are called to suffer together. This is the way of the beloved people, and some of us were having a great week, some of us, this is a really, really hard week. And as the people of God, we are called together in those hard moments, even when you're having a good one, that you come alongside your brother, you come alongside your neighbor, and you say, I'm with you. You don't say the answers, you don't give them all the the, the lame sayings, you show up with your presence like God has showed up with us and you lean into the mess. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with someone who's gone through incredible loss, who's in the middle of deep despair, and they tell me time and time again, the most important thing that they've gotten, the most medical comfort they've had is just the presence of someone, of a hug, of a touch, of a text. And beloved, we tend to run from the uncomfortable pain. But let's be a people that follow Jesus. Let's be a people that run to the pain. Let's be a people that bear together because our Savior said, you were worth it. In a few moments, we're going to sing an incredible song. It's just about saying, I'm a child of God. It's about the church confessing to get together, I am who you, God, say I am. I am chosen before the creation of the world. He foreknew, he predestined, I was worth it. And as you struggle with the tension of predestination, I'll leave you with this wonderful quote from our reading plan this week. Eddie said this, God predestined us to be like Jesus by his spirit. We are not only saved by God, but we are ultimately transformed by him to be like our savior. It was meant to be, and everything does happen for a reason, God's reason. Let's continue to confess our faith together. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. As we pray today, Lord, thank you for the blood that you shed for me. And I pray, God, right now in this moment, as we sing together, As we are reminded, God, that not only are some of the pain, some of the struggle that maybe we are in right now, we still have the first fruits. We still have the evidence that you're changing everything. We still have your spirit interceding with us when we don't even know what to pray for. And we still have the incredible comfort to know that we are children of the king. And so, God, may your kingdom come Jesus, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we together, as we sing in response, may anyone who is far off, may anyone who feels distance, may this be a time to just confess our faith in you. Just to continue to say, I believe God. And if there's anybody here watching online, anybody here in this space that does not know you, God, I pray right now that by your spirit you would stir in them to confess their faith, that they would simply say, Lord, I believe. I don't wanna be far from you. I don't, I, I don't wanna live with this pain by myself. I would love to just be your child, and I believe, Jesus, that you paid the price. And I accept you as my savior for my sins. I believe, Lord. And as I believe, I also confess my faith that you are the king and I give my heart to you. I receive you in. And I look forward to walking with you and you leading the way. And I pray, Lord, Spirit of God, that as we sing together, that you would just do your work. I pray, God, right now in this moment, that as we confess our faith together, that you, you would do the groaning work of interceding for your people. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and we worship you with wonder. We pray this together in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing together.